When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. As always, we are joined by our super producer, Alex Odyssey-Williams, and Scott. I got to say, this one is uh, this is one that we have talked about a lot off-air for one reason or another. Oh, this sure. Topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be a tough one on you, I feel. I feel. I mean, you know what, though? I'm going to try my best to avoid uh, the forbidden topic, but uh, right. but it has to come up occasionally. It really does. I just feel sometimes you just push people. You well, know? you know, I'm not, I'm not one to kind of rub it in. A lot of <laughs> a lot of listeners have uh, have liked to rub it in, I guess, oh, you know, to tease you along the way sure. because they know your uh, I have disdain, your disdain for a certain type of vehicle. That's a minivan, but not only that, a certain brand and make and. Just go ahead and say it, and and let's uh, let's hear your. How about this? How about just a, a ten second version of of why that particular vehicle? You have to name it, but why why does that bother you? Um. All right. How, okay. I've got a counter offer. I'll name it, and then at the end, if we have time, mm-hmm. I will make my case. Okay. A mini for, rant. Yes. For any of any of you who have not been acquainted with the Honda Odyssey. Any year, any kind of modification, any sort of – you know what? We'll save it for the end. Okay. All right. Well, I want to start off here. We've got a lot of stuff to get to. We've got listener right. mail. We've got all kinds of stuff. And we've but got – yeah. I, I do want to say, and I hope this is the truth, mm-hmm. I don't think this is going to be a boring podcast. I think there's a lot to talk about here. As you know, we always try to take subjects that we think we can you know, draw on some little-known facts. Some, sure. Some interesting things and some – I guess a few facts and figures here and there. But this yeah. is more – um, you know, the history of and, and some developments some twists and turns along the mm-hmm. way that uh, I didn't see coming. Uh, there's one in particular, one vehicle in particular that I doubt I – w- I would doubt that, um, you know, 5% of our audience knows of this vehicle that we're going to talk about that really led to the development of the modern minivan. Right. You and, have to dig for that one. And we'll cover that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that this is going to be a um, – 
a boring podcast in any way. I hope so. Anyway, no, we've got uh, uh, twists and turns. It's an origin story. We get to the future yeah, a we're, little bit. We're not doing reviews of any minivan models or anything like that. No. And, and you know, we find that we're in kind of a strange position because we haven't been really defenders of minivans in the past, right? I mean, we've kind of been I the opposite. Not. not not really. I mean, a little bit along the way, we said some nice things about them, but like ten years or so ago, I, I probably wouldn't have had the stance that I do today. Um, I'm a little bit softer on the subject now, and I'll, there's, right. there's some reasons. Well, they've also um, not only has technology in general evolved uh, over the first time we'd ever mentioned a minivan on this show, but also the concept from the manufacturer end has evolved, and they're much more luxurious, right? Yeah. But uh, if I'm correct, I think the nicest thing I ever said about a minivan on air was along the lines of, it's your money, do what you want. <laughs> that is probably 100% accurate. Uh, you know, and I, I think we'll, we'll also get to, <laughs> oh gosh, you catch me off guard if this is funny. All right, so I, I think that if you ask, you know, 10, 10 people, let's say, or, or 100 people, sure. let's say 100 people, 100 I, think, people. I think 90 of them are going to say that Chrysler invented the minivan, but I think we're going to dispel that a little bit mm-hmm. in a way. I mean, it's sort of, it's, it's like a half truth, really. Yeah, we're gonna uh, we're we're gonna bust a couple of myths, mm-hmm. maybe, and and uh, also we wanted to thank everyone who wrote in because, like, uh, like many of our episodes, uh, this is uh, a, a listener suggestion, a suggestion from a series of listeners. Yeah, well, we've been doing the show for a long time. Almost, uh, what, nine years now, something like that? We've, yeah. <laughs> and along the way, we've had a lot of people who want to hear about minivans. They mm-hmm. want because, you know, that's their vehicle of choice, you know, the family vehicle. They'd like to hear about them. So, uh, you know, finally, finally we're getting to it. But, um, you know, this year alone, in 2017, we've had a, a lot of requests as of late for minivan shows. So let me read just maybe two or three emails emails here. Cool. Uh, of listener requests. Uh, the first one just is simply titled minivan episode question mark. <laughs> waiting for it. So Weston B has written in. Weston is a, he says, hi guys, I'm a longtime listener. My name is Weston B and I live in Indiana and I love your podcast. I was wondering if you guys could do an episode on minivans. Oh, and you know what? He has a part in here that we can't really do. Uh, he was asking for a top 10 of what we would recommend for the most comfortable and powerful, but, right. uh, we're not, again, we're not really a review show, but we can do a show about minivans and, and the way yeah. that we normally do. Yeah, so, we can do an origin story. We can also, um, I think along the way, inevitably, we will compare at least some parts of this. Ah, sure. I guess so. But, but not, uh, not a full review. Not in a professional way. <laughs> no, no, no. In a, in a severely unprofessional. <laughs> We're going to be completely unprofessional today. All right. So uh, the next one is just called uh, New Listener, and this comes from S. Wirtz. Uh-huh. Uh, S, uh, S, I don't know who S is, but S says, I'm a new listener, and I must say I stumbled on a pretty good podcast. Well, that's very nice. Well, thank you, S. S. <laughs> you guys do a great job of getting good information out and bringing listeners into thinking about things. I am I know I'm a little bit late, but I'm catching up quickly. Um, and he, he or she says, my opinion on luxury is something I, I taught, I was taught at a young age. Luxury is defined as anything beyond the basic needs. Some of us can afford a little more luxury than others, and some mm-hmm. people can afford a much higher level of luxury. Yeah. This brings me to one of my guilty pleasures. My daily driver is a little mundane, but I have plenty of luxury items to make it a little bit more exciting. I have a pretty nice sound system, and yes, I crank it up. I have all the bells and whistles, and I have yet to find another vehicle to replace it with. 
Now that I've built up the suspense, I guess it's time to let you in. I drive a Chrysler Town & Country. Mm-hmm. That's a minivan driver. So here's a Chrysler fan. Yeah. Um, I haven't yet heard a podcast on the workhorse of families uh, that litter American highways. Litter, that's a funny word to use here. <laughs> that litter American highways, city streets, and parking lots. I'm a huge fan of the minivan, and yet I have to agree, the Honda Odyssey is not for me. <laughs> With that, I'll end by saying thanks for the great job you do. All right. Well, thank you, S. And then here's someone who would disagree with uh, with S, who is a Chrysler fan. Uh-huh. This is a Honda Odyssey fan. I Oh, I think I remember this uh, one. That's not snarky in any way. It's no. not mean, but it does say, Ben, this one's for you. Of course, I, as, yeah, I remember this. As do a lot well. of these, right? Dano. Dano is the one who wrote it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I forgot to mention that. But it, it was actually a note about autonomous vehicle security to begin with. This is part of a larger note, but mm-hmm. one of the paragraphs was this. I chuckle and slightly resent every time you bag on the good old Honda Odyssey. I know you don't have kids and perhaps haven't been given the opportunity to develop an appreciation for the minivan. I definitely understand your frustration with the often preoccupied drivers of minivans and being stuck in traffic behind them. But as far as minivans go, I have to say, as a Honda Odyssey owner, these things are built for battle. Battle with the wife and kids, that is. <laughs> That's kind of a funny line. Yeah. I, I have owned other makes and models, and from my pers- uh, my experience, they're the most mechanically sound. Mm. They're not nearly as underpowered as many of the others, and their suspensions aren't quite as much like a bowl of jello feeling as you get when riding in a Dodge or a Chrysler. Well, this is fighting Shots words. fired. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should get S. Wirtz together in the room with Dano and let them battle it out. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Uh, maybe we should get them together with like a demolition derby type thing. In a minivan. Right. We'll supply the vans. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. All right. So anyways, uh, uh, Dano says, I'm not sure I'll win this argument, but I wish I could change your mind to reference the Dodge Caravan as the bane of your existence. <laughs> but until then, I'll continue to chuckle at your references of the Honda Odyssey. Keep up the good work. All right. <laughs> so, so much, anyways, we get, we get notes like that, you know, yeah. like all the time about minivans. So mm-hmm. we decided that we would, uh, we would definitely, Broach the topic today, and I think that one thing that we should clarify here is that we have done an episode uh, much earlier, back in August of 2013, on uh, Woody Station Wagons. Right. And Woody Station Wagons, th- that podcast, that kind of covered the birth of the station wagon, really. Mm-hmm. And that's critical in the development of the minivan as well, and and we'll tell you the progression of that in just a moment. But um, can I take a, a sidebar here? Oh, yeah, please. All right, so I know we've been... Talking for a good 10 minutes already, yeah, or at well, least I have, about, uh, <laughs> about all kinds of stuff. But well, you went on a trip recently. I, I did, and that's the sidebar I wanted to take here, is that um, I was gone for four days, mm-hmm. and it, this has this has to do with automotive stuff, I promise. Okay. Um, I went to uh, four different states. I went to Missouri, Nebraska, Iowa, and Kansas, mm. and uh, mostly hanging out in the Omaha area right around, um, uh, um, I guess right around that area, around that city, across the river um, in Iowa. And I heard about a museum there. At least my wife heard about this museum. We decided to take a day trip to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, and we went to a place called the Museum of American Speed in oh. in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of this. Now, does it measure up to the hype? It definitely measures up to it. Yeah, I mean, this is I, I've read this in a, uh, a review. You know, like I went online and read some reviews mm-hmm. later. Afterwards, I didn't know anything about the museum other than I think we've had a listener to has mentioned this place before. Uh, but they describe it as a hidden gem, and it truly is. It's kind of tucked away in a, an industrial complex area, mm-hmm. uh, like way you know outside of the city. Um, but this place is amazing. If you're anywhere near there, I recommend going to it. You know, I did the same thing with the Lane Museum. That's another one that I, I really loved in the um, Nashville area. Mm-hmm. But this one is in Lincoln, Nebraska, and it has something like I think they have about 130 cars, but they have 600 engines on display. 
600 that are scattered throughout the museum all over wow. the place. Uh, they have a Harry Miller exhibit. Uh, that's completely Harry, all about Harry Miller. We've done an episode yeah, about yeah, Harry yeah. Miller, the engine designer builder. Right, right, right. They have the whole timeline of his life on the wall. They have, um, I want to say it's six or seven Harry Miller engines that are in the room on stands that you can view. And some are cutaways. Um, they have his original drawing board there. Uh, it's mostly, really? mostly race cars, some street cars, mm-hmm. a lot of hot rods. Uh, there are motorcycles. There are land speed record cars. There's current well, cars that not quite current race cars, but retired. Um, Probably, I'm going to, I'll round this number up just a little bit. Sure. They must have a billion toys. A billion. <laughs> uh, because the, the automobilia, I guess, if you want to call it yeah. that, the collectibles and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They cover floor, there's three floors of, of, uh, museum space and they have pedal cars, they have, uh, tin toys, model, you know, like detailed model. Do they have the die cast stuff? They you have like? die cast, they have, um, tether cars, they have rail cars. Wow. Um, just a little bit of everything. Some are restored, some are unrestored. You and know, these as far are as cars historical. Go. These are displays. You can't buy them or mess no, around with. Everything them. is everything is a display, and it's uh, it's part of this place called. And I'm going to give you a tip right now. All right, uh, it's part of this place. I think the place that that pays for it really or sponsors it really. I don't know how that all works out, but it's called Speedway Motors, and it's right across the uh, the parking lot, I guess, from this place. Yeah. It's actually called the Speedway Motors Museum of American Speed. And Speedway Motors is a race car warehouse. Like they, not race car, race car parts warehouse. Oh, okay. And so when you buy a museum shirt, this is the tip. At the end of my, my trip there, I wanted yeah. to buy a shirt in the lobby. So I went to, I asked them about it and they said, you have to go over to Speedway Motors. So I walked over there and it's a parts counter with this enormous warehouse. I mean, the kind where, you know, they ride on electric carts to get the parts, but right. it's a huge place. All race car parts and street car parts and hot rod parts and all that. It's really a cool wow. place. You only get to see the counter though. But it's enormous. I, I, thought, I imagine. So yeah. I order a shirt over there and it takes him, you know, 25 minutes to get the shirt because that's probably in the back corner. Cause they had to get a guy on the cart. He did. Yeah. He took a cart Go back to the, the corner to bit, to buy one shirt. It's crazy. So anyways, totally worth it. But when he, when he's handing me back the shirt and my receipt, uh, the shirt was only like 20 bucks, right? So he hands it back and he says, have you gone to the museum yet? I said, yeah, I just came from there. They sent me over here to get the shirt. And he said, this oh. receipt would have been good for a free admission. So go buy the shirt so first. Buy the shirt first. You get a free admission into the museum, which is fifteen dollars. So I spent yeah. fifteen dollars to get into the, the museum, twenty one dollars on the shirt, when I could have just spent twenty one dollars on the shirt and got both things, you know, for that price. But if it doesn't have an expiration date and you just keep the print the receipt. You know, the thing is though <laughs> All right. did you keep the receipt? Well, I I did keep the receipt. I still have the receipt because I haven't unpacked yet. Okay. I mean I'm I'm back that recently, but um it goes to a good cause. I mean, it's all to keep the museum going. So, you know, I, I, I thought, well, I kind of got taken on that, but then I thought, well, it's actually for a, a great cause. It's, you look at it as a, as a, like a donation to the right, museum. Right, right. If you want to look at it that way. Sure. You or, gotta, you gotta remember though, Scott, <laughs> a lot of those receipts, even if they don't have expiration dates, the ink that they're printed with, uh, will disappear over time. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Let's leave it out in the car on the dash for a while and, uh, and see what happens. I bet you could have. You know what? Somebody lives in the Omaha area listening to this show. Mm-hmm. Depending on – now, this is very cheap, even for me. <laughs> what, raffle it off? <laughs> for just the price of a postage stamp. You no, too. no, I'm not going to do that because honestly, I mean – It does support The, the museum cost. is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. And if, if you can get there, go. But it's one of those places where when I walked in, I immediately felt overwhelmed as well because there's so much to look at. There's oh, no I way. I, I went through and took a lot of photographs of the car and mm-hmm. the placard and then I moved on. 
And I know that's not a great way to go through a museum, but yeah. you get to a point where you're on, you know, the second, third floors and, and you just are running out of time. The place is going to close down. So you're running and gunning. It was kind of like that. Yeah. It's an incredible experience. So if anybody's in that area, I haven't had a museum experience like that since I went to the Lane Museum. And that says a lot. That does. Hey, uh, quick question though, un- unrelated. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys get any steaks while you were out there? I still have, we were talking about this oh, earlier. Boy. Okay, so Omaha steaks, right? Yeah. That's supposed to be the big thing? That's supposed to be like a real big thing. Uh, well, let me tell you something. I, I I won't reveal where I was staying. Okay. But I went to a steakhouse that in in the uh, facility that I was staying. Sure. That claimed to have Omaha steaks, and they did. Uh-huh. You know, of course, it's right there. Yeah. Uh, I was disappointed. What? I know. I know. I was I was complete. I was blown away, but I was expected the, the most perfect steak ever. And, right. Uh, and nope. In- nope. All in like forty nine other states. Whenever Omaha, Nebraska comes up, us carnivores are all, all about the Whoops. hearing about these steaks, salivating, right? Like, right. You, like you think this is going to be fantastic, and I, I've actually had Omaha steaks that have been you know like freeze dried and shipped and and then grilled yeah, somewhere yeah, else, and yeah. they're fine. I think it was all in the preparation. I think whoever created, whoever did this, whoever was mm-hmm. on the grill, mm-hmm. didn't do the best job because Ouch. Uh, I mean it just wasn't good. It wasn't good. I can't I can't give it a good rating. Well, you can't. You, you can't judge the entire industry oh. by by the one state. No, absolutely. And you know what? I'm I'm actually I'm kind of a defender, I guess. Of I'm saying defender. I'm a defender of Omaha steaks, I guess. In the in that <laughs> I've had them in the past and they've been excellent. Yeah. This particular one, not good. Not good. Sixty two bucks and it was not good. Sixty two dollars. Yeah. Steakhouse prices, man. You could. I wonder if you could have given them that Speedway receipt. Yeah, for a couple I know. Bucks I know. Off. You know what? It's an expensive weekend. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, for the record, I've I've never been to Nebraska, uh, so far as oh. I'm aware. Oh, uh, you know what? All four states. I have nothing bad to say. It was great. It's yeah. Really, really cool. First time in Iowa too. Uh, right? First time in three of those four states. Yeah. 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 What was the third one? What was your first uh, time? Kansas. Yeah. Kansas. Kansas. Um, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been to Missouri before. Yeah. Um, and Iowa. All right. Well, I'm, I'm gonna, I feel like I have to go now. Well, I mean, I guess it's, you know, it's a, it, you check it off on the list, right? I've got a map at home. Museum. You know, I like when you get the map at home and you want to check off all the states you've been in. Yeah. I, I mean, it took care of four. Yeah. You know, right there. I have a, I have a world map and, uh, you know, it gets to the point where I, I feel like before I die, I have a lot of places to go. Otherwise, this map is going to look like, on a global scale, I was just hanging out in my apartment. <laughs> I started even planning trips by how far away they are from the other pins, so I look like a more interesting person. Yeah. Nebraska's yeah. far enough good, away. Good plan. Good plan. Yeah, yeah. nothing shallow. Well, about I won't. That. I won't say anything bad about any of those four states. They were. Uh, they were great to visit. Yeah, I so, almost lived in Iowa for a while. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Great story, a... huh? I was. <laughs> I was going to go to grad school in Iowa. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. And then I didn't. Well, now I feel silly for saying that. <laughs> That's, uh... Uh, you should not feel silly if you assume that in the, on November 2nd, 1983, the world's first minivan rolled off the Chrysler assembly line. Nice segue. Thank you. I nice segue. Yeah. So, all right. So Chrysler, I mean, so we'll, we'll get to this, uh, this more detail yeah, later. This but, is the fake opener. This but, is the opener everybody thinks of. Right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. This is the 1984, uh, 1983 as an 84 model year. Right, right. Uh, the Plymouth Voyager Dodge Caravan. 
And of course, Plymouth, you know, went away. But, uh, but, um, this is the one that everybody thinks of as the modern minivan. The one that everybody can probably picture in their mind's eye, you know, is the, uh-huh. uh, pretty boxy, um, has typically, if you're, you're thinking of these, they're going to have the, uh, you know, the fake, you know, uh, vinyl wood on the side, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They carry over from the station wagons. That makes sense. And that all important sliding door. Yeah. The sliding door, which, uh, that, that was really important. I mean, it's kind of, again, Minivan, the whole term, I mean, this is a brand new segment, really, um, in 1984, because uh, we're coming down from full-size vans, which a lot of people had. A lot of families had those. Um, and we'll get to the station wagons as well, I promise. But yeah. the full-size van was something that a lot of families relied on as having, uh, you know, high seating capacity, high cargo carrying capacity mm-hmm. as well. Um, it, you know, even more so than a lot of the station wagons that were out there. You could carry, you know, lots of passengers, you know, up to a dozen passengers or, or, you know, nine and a lot of luggage or something like that. But yeah, there were some problems with the full size man as well. Right. Uh, two of the biggest being the, uh, terrible, horrific fuel economy, yeah. especially if we're considering, um, the time in which, um, the time that preceded the minivan era, uh, you know, full-size vans during like a gas crisis, mm-hmm. that's not a good look. And then also uh, the fact that, um, to allude to uh, Dano's earlier statement, uh, full-size vans just have terrible handling. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're, they're a, a tall vehicle mm-hmm. and uh, a little sloppy because, you know, they've got a lot of suspension travel uh, because they're carrying heavy loads, lots mm-hmm. of people, lots of cargo. So um, and there are other problems that we will get to when we get to – when we start talking about um, another interesting vehicle that uh, – Yes. I don't want, I don't know if I want to give it away just yet. I don't think we should. Um, maybe we should talk about like kind of where minivans came from, really. Sure. I mean, yeah. We hinted that, you know, they're, they're a small van, of course. Everybody knows that, but some sort of, dare I say, miniature van. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you're, you're right on spot on, Ben. <laughs> Thanks, man. I went to yeah. college and stuff. <laughs> Nearly in Iowa. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So, uh, this all goes back to, and I guess maybe we probably covered some of this in the Woody Station Wagons episode. I didn't listen to it beforehand, but I think we did. Uh-huh. It goes we back did. to train travel, of all things. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the way we get to it is there's there's train travel, and a lot of people are using, uh, you know, the, the depot there in town, or uh, depot, however you like to say it. I'd mm-hmm. say depot in this case. Um, and with that came something called depot hacks. And essentially, these were taxis. These are people that were shuttling people and, you know, luggage to and from the train depot. It makes perfect sense, right? Sure. So this goes back to like, you know, the Model T days, the early days of the automobile. And again, high high seating capacity, high cargo carrying capacity. And a lot of times these depot hacks, if you can, you know, do a Google search for that word, now those two words, you'll find that um, these are open open carriers, really. Right. A lot of them don't even have windows. Well, yeah, this is still in the day of custom carriage work. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these things were the engine and the chassis and then uh, having that shipped somewhere and then having somebody probably local or regional construct out of wood and, and uh, mainly out of wood uh, a, a, um, a carapace uh, and making the rest of the coach. The Good word. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I almost went to school in Iowa, so. <laughs> That's fancy. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, oh, I've got to regret that joke. But, uh, but, uh, another important thing to say here is this may sound familiar, uh, to some of us out here because it's essentially fulfilling the role of a hotel shuttle or an airport shuttle today. So, you know, the. Which is often a full-size van. Right. 
still. Yeah. Uh, so the depot or the depot, right, is probably going to be not right downtown, you know? No, no, exactly. Or at least hotels usually don't want to be set up right next to a train station. So we need that kind of short – uh, short distance transit. Yeah, that's right. And even if it's in a small town, you still need to carry, uh, you know, all of that luggage that, be, you know, you know, it's funny if you think back to, uh, you know, the, um, the excess luggage that people carried back in that time. Oh, like yeah, in the, yeah. In the early 1900s. I mean, it was more, uh, I guess, what would be a, a comparison? Like, um, like camping versus glamping, you know, like maybe there that, we go. like when you're traveling versus like when you're like taking a luxurious trip on a, on an ocean liner or something, mm-hmm. you have to get to there. So you, you take all this luggage. I mean, you might have 10 pieces of luggage for a family that, you know, three, right. um, that are enormous. These big old wooden, ca- or not wood, well, I guess wooden and leather cases that had sure. these big straps on them with all the stickers from where they've been. And, and everything. people had like just boxes for their hats. Yeah. Well, exactly. Which still blows my mind, but <laughs> I, I guess I've never owned a nice hat. <laughs> a hat box. Yeah, sure. That's well, anyways, these are these are the uh, the wooden body cars that were made by you know cabinet makers, sure. coffin makers, you know the right. people that created things out of wood during the day. So the depot hacks of the ta- taxis then led to um, enclosed wagons, and that was what we think of as a station wagon. Now, station, of course, train station wagon, uh, right? Think about it. But it wasn't just sta- like going to the station, but that's kind of where that word came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially, station wagons and depot hacks were sort of the same thing. Uh, you know, ballpark. There, there were enclosed. Finally, they had you know windows. They had um, you know better seats. You know, maybe mm-hmm. soft seats instead of you know the wooden benches that they had before. Sure. Um, the enclo- again, the enclosed seating thing was big because prior to that, it was just all wide open, and they had maybe some roll down curtains that were. You're kind of riding in a pickup bed. Yeah, like can you know they're canvas or something, yeah. you know, like the, to cover you from the elements. But um, the station wagons led to, and I'm just really blanket paraphrasing here, but sure. the station wagons then led to minivans. Now, the minivans as we talked about in the 1980s or mid-1980s, so station wagons were around for a long, long time. I mean, from the 19, you know, what, 1920s, 1930s, Easily. up until the mid-1980s, mm-hmm. and then the, um, what I guess we'll call them, I don't know if I'm giving something away here. I'll, I'll say a word here that will come up later. Minivans were garageable vans. Ah, okay. That's a, that's a garageable. That's garageable. a term. That's an actual term. Yes. Garageable vans. And we'll talk about that later. Sure. Uh, but minivans then now, recently, I guess, have, have given over to crossovers, which are kind of a, like between the SUV size mm-hmm. and station wagon size. Right. And, and I do want to point out here something. Now, we've talked about woody wagons and how important they mm-hmm. were. And, and, you know, this is going right back to the woody days, but, there was a time when station wagons were extremely prestigious. And believe it or not, I mean, it wasn't always just the grocery getter family wagon. Right. And, and there were scaled back versions that were that, even even in the time frame that I'm talking about. But there were also wagons that catered to the wealthy, catered to mm-hmm. the people that wanted to take the, you know, the, the cross-country tours. Like a chauffeured station wagon. <laughs> yeah. I know it sounds weird now, but that was a thing. Ask Elvis. <laughs> yeah, Ask right. Elvis. He had, uh, he had a Cadillac station wagon. Anyways, um, the 1940, just for an example, and this is one that I got from a site called Alpar, uh, which is a, a Chrysler Dodge site, uh, Jeep, I think as well. Uh, the 1941 Chrysler Town and Country station wagon was the most expensive station wagon for that year of its, of its kind. And I thought they said it was the most expensive car in the lineup, but I don't know if that's 100% Ooh. true for Chrysler because they had some pretty luxurious cars back in that day. But it, it, um, regardless, it was the most expensive station wagon in 1941. 
And so, you know, it makes sense. Most luxurious, most expensive. It was ballpark price around $5,000, which if you were to take that into today's dollar amount, yeah, right around $83,000 if you were to buy one today, you know, at that price at $5,000. Well, wow. did I say that right? I always get that mixed up. Mm-hmm. 5000 in 1941, that was a lot of cash, a lot of cabbage, a lot of cheese. A lot of scratch. Yeah, exactly. So, um, again, the prestige carried for a long, long time, but then they kind of lost favor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. true. And uh, it may be, in some ways, it may be a um, a trend that we've seen in other markets where as it becomes more easily available to, you know, uh, your average, like, day-to-day, middle-income, John and Jane American, then a little bit of the um, cachet begins to wear away. Well, but by no means are they gone either, though. We talked no, about this not. off air, right? Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, a lot not. of the uh, European marks still make them. And you raised a great point, too, about the type of marks that make them. Yeah, luxury. Right. Luxury. So it's, uh, you know, BMW, it's Mercedes, mm-hmm. it's, uh, um, uh, well, Audi makes yeah. one as well. Uh, Volvo, I guess. I don't know if you, you know, Volvo's not really luxury. Let's call it a safety wagon. <laughs> <laughs> safety wagon? Yeah, maybe we'll call it a safety That's wagon. Great. But, uh, That's great. it probably has a lot of luxury features. And, uh, uh let's see, who do we say? BMW, Mercedes, mm-hmm. I think Cadillac. Uh, yeah, makes sense well. So they're still being made in the United States as well. It's just you see them more in Europe. It, yeah, that's true. That's true. And I'm not going to be able to hit every brand that has a station wagon still, but there are even still some, uh, I guess you call them economy or, um, you know, um, more standard, I guess, brands that, sure. uh, not luxury brands that, that mm-hmm. still offer a, uh, station wagon as, as a, uh, possibility. So there you have it, folks. The general lay of the land. Uh, Scott, I think we've done a pretty solid job of just sort of tracing the big steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can already see how the story of minivans does not by any means start in the early 1980s. In fact, we are going to uh, let you in on some in- insider evolution of minivans that you might not hear in all the uh, retrospectives that came out in uh, 2013, 2014. And we'll get to them right after this word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. 
So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned. Uh, so before the break, we talked about the the basic evolution starting in the days of railroads, right, mm-hmm. uh, into station wagons and how station wagons became a luxurious thing and then more of a normal everyday thing. And ultimately, we said the next big step was the minivan. But that's not entirely the case. That's the abridged version. You know, that's what we would say if someone said, tell us about where minivans came from in three minutes. The real story is, uh, I think, much more interesting and has a lot of twists and turns. And one of the coolest ones is something that we personally saw at a uh, at a museum here in Atlanta. You see, way before 1983 was even a thing that people thought about outside of science fiction novels way back in 1936 uh there was a very unique and strange vehicle called the stout scarab yeah someone very forward thinking came up with the stout scarab right (laughs) because um that's one that we covered in yeah it was the uh, high museum of art here in atlanta Mm -hmm. right and we've got a video online if you want to watch it about the uh the stout scarab and uh, again 1936 that's uh, what 47 years prior mm-hmm. to what we think of as the minivan but but if you look at the stout scarab uh that has a lot of features that are included in modern minivans or at least in in minivans to begin with mm-hmm. um had things like removable tables and second row seating um mm-hmm. the the, uh, the front seats I, I think the second row the first row seats i think turned around to face the second row uh yeah yeah the um the second row seats could turn 180 degrees oh gotcha to where you put the table up so you could still have uh, someone driving while everybody else was in the back playing Uno or something. Yeah, you could play games or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, full-size vans had a lot of the same features, I, I suppose, but on a much larger scale. So, you know, this, this Stout Scarab is closer to minivan size than anything else of its of – its, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, maybe. Um, there were other vehicles that were bigger, but this one had minivan-esque features, maybe, oh, like inside. Maybe, maybe we would call it minivan DNA. Oh, that's probably a better is way that to say all right? it. Yeah, that's uh, good. That's this, fine. This is this is why you will sometimes hear people say that this uh the Stout Scarab is the world's first production minivan but as we know it is difficult to rate something as the first without 
several caveats. All right. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, whenever, whenever anybody says like this is really the first one, it's not the first one that was called a minivan. They didn't call it that. Right. So I guess Chrysler has the uh, the lock on that really because they called it a minivan in 1984. But uh, going back to 1936, there sure were a lot of features that made it, uh, you know, a lot like a minivan. Um, there so, we go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So there's another company called uh, DKW. And DKW – actually, you know what? We should talk about DKW for just a second. Yeah. DKW was um, one of the four companies that joined together to form Auto Union, which was uh, um, I think is Audi, Horsch, DKW, and Wanderer. That's the uh, the interlocked four rings on the Audi symbol today. And so DKW uh, had a vehicle called the the Schnellaster, Schnellaster maybe. I don't know how to Schnellaster. I guess Schnellaster, sure. Uh, but that was manufactured from what 1949 until 1962, mm-hmm. and it was one of the uh, one of the first few vehicles, I guess, that was a production vehicle uh, to feature the characteristics of modern minivans. Because I think the Stout Scarab they only made like ten of those, so it's kind right. of a one-off example, I guess, or a ten-off maybe um, example. But you'll see them in museums, and and you know, I guess maybe. You know, there's the odd owner that, you know, might drive it around to shows, you know, the concourse shows or something. But yeah, um, but that that goes into and I don't want to derail us too far, but that goes sure. into the the old problem of uh, how to best define what makes a production threshold for a oh, car. Yeah, I guess. You so. know what I mean? A production run of 10 is still a production run. Yeah. A hand built. But see, I would say that uh, DKW probably had more of a uh, an assembly line production going from you know nineteen forty nine to sixty two. That's a long right. that's a long run. More than you know, just th- well, not throwing together, but you know, like putting together ten ten cars is. Well, I don't want to say easier, but it's easier than than, than running, you know, a factory, run, you know, than running a factory for 13 years. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so I guess you could look at it that way. And and at the same time as DKW is doing that with the Schnellaster, I hope I'm getting that right. Um, in 1950, the Volkswagen Type 2 uh, was adapted. It was like a, a bus adaptation to the Volkswagen Beetle. Mm-hmm. So that's when the, the microbus really came out. And a lot of people think of the microbus as maybe being the first minivan. It's not exactly right. I mean, it, it, sure, it has the same features that we're talking about. You know, it has um, – this is where we get into the, the gray area, I guess, with all these vehicles. And there's more than this too. Um, but the, the gray area is that this is a uh, – we're going to talk about this in a moment – a one-box design, whereas mm-hmm. current modern minivans have a two-box design. And we'll talk about box design in just right. a moment. But I need to get another example out because I promise we'll get to box design. Uh, wasn't, <laughs> there, wasn't there another one? There was a um, – uh, let's see. There's so we we mentioned DKW. Yeah, yep. We mentioned that, and Volkswagen the one that I'm type two. The one that I'm thinking about is the Fiat 600 Multipla. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have never seen a 1956 Multipla, uh, check it out. But I mean, you, I think you'll find that it's shaped a lot like uh, the Scarab in mm-hmm. that it has rounded corners, front and back. And that's uh, an interesting looking vehicle. Has a lot of uh, again, again, the same type of thing. The high, uh, you know, passenger capacity, high cargo capacity. It's a small Smart. vehicle because it's a Fiat. But it has that shape. It has those features. So a lot of people say that maybe that's the first minivan. So there's a lot of contenders here. There's another one. There's the Lloyd LT. Now, Lloyd is a German manufacturer, mm-hmm. and they built the LT500 between 1953 and 1957. And it's a six-seater uh, minivan version. And this one, to me, Ben, this this Lloyd LT probably has the most modern look to it as far as, uh, you know, the, the minivan contenders for the first first ever. Oh, um, oh that reminds me. Speaking of longer back ends, I can't believe we got this far. It's it's <laughs> Where are you way, going with this, way more like a full size van than a minivan. Yeah, Buckminster Fuller's Dymaxion. Yeah, well, that's big. 
But that's but, I mean that's big. It's got like it, well the shape the shape of the scarab the shape oof. of this this uh, yeah. Fiat this Fiat yeah. six hundred multipla. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the Max uh, Dimaxian. You're right. And the Dimaxian is apparently a nightmare to drive. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, you know, oh, you know what? Mm. This is going going back to the uh, Lane Museum. They have a full size replica of a Dimaxian there. Can you go inside? I don't think you can go inside, but you can sure peek inside of it. Uh, you know, at the Lane Museum, I don't think. I'm trying to recall now. It's been a couple of years, but I don't think they have um, uh, the rope stanchions around all the vehicles. You can really get right in and oh, lean. That's cool. You can lean right up to and right in, but yeah. uh, don't touch them. You know, that's the rule. Yeah. Well, don't try to drive, even if you have an opportunity. Apparently, uh, the Demaxian is a real pill to drive. <laughs> a uh, pill. I like that term. Yeah, I'm bringing it back. <laughs> there's a uh, because there's a. Um, there's some serious steering issues with it, which is fine. You can be a genius at one thing and still not be great at designing of, cars. Of course, of course. And it's, it was an intriguing design, I remember. It was different. It was mm. uh, a lot like a small RV, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, just fascinating car. If you don't know much about it, take a look at it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think we should probably at this point. So anyways, we've got several early minivan contenders, ones that claim to have been the first, right? Right. And if you look at them uh, at, at the first glance, they can seem to be pretty varied. And in many ways they are. However, they are all, this is the, I think the crucial part here. They all come out in a relatively small span of time, mm-hmm. right? Com- yeah. Compared to each other. And they're all attempting to address the same concerns, mm-hmm. which is Family-friendly transport. Sure. Ultimately, or like small group transport, you know, uh, because beforehand we would have really – we would have larger people movers. I'm just going to use that phrase because mm-hmm. uh, it's vague enough to encompass everything. Yeah. And then uh, we would have um, commercial transit. So this is essentially a way for a private individual – to under their own power transport, you know, many more people than would be typical in a vehicle at the sure. time. The whole family plus all of their crap, mm-hmm. bring you know, your grandma the, too, all, the, all their stuff, I should say, mm-hmm. and their boxes for their hats. Yeah, their hat boxes, their, uh, their <laughs> hunting gear or whatever they're bringing, right? Picnic boxes. Yeah, the, <laughs> those, those great big wicker picker uh, picnic baskets. That, right, uh, right. That they have, yeah. Uh, and, and so the auto manufacturers do not exist in a vacuum. So the market is teaching these manufacturers, uh, what, what they want. And one of the, one of the other big things, oh, I can't believe I almost forgot to mention this is one of the biggest things. What's that? It's the efficient use of space and how best to organize and allocate space in so that you can have the smallest possible footprint with the largest possible amount of room. Well, they had the right idea going all the way back to the depot hacks. I mean, really, they did it, but but the depot hacks were a what we'll call a two box design. Now, I hinted earlier that we're going to talk about oh, this. Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about box design, and I I, I hope this doesn't make your eyes glaze over. But uh, we talked about it with the mini. I think uh, mini was a two box design as well. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But you can kind of picture this. I think if if you want to like think of it this way, there's one box, two box, and three box designs, and I've got examples of each one. And just me describing this type of vehicle, you should understand what I'm talking about. But we'll clarify in just a moment. Okay. So the VW Microbus, that's an example of a one-box design. That's relatively flat front end, flat back end. There's just the cabin area, and that's about it, right? Yeah. It still has all the pillars, but um, it's just a box design. A lot of people can picture that in their, in their mm-hmm. mind's eye. The Lincoln Town Car, 
is a three-box design. It has a hood, an area for the engine. Right. Uh, it has a cabin, and then it also has a trunk area. That's okay. That's a small box, a big box in the middle, and a small box at the end. I see. Three-box okay. design. That makes sense. And then, you know, the minivans, the modern minivans, have a two-box design. So, like the Toyota Sienna minivan, I guess, has a, a smaller box in the front where the hood is covered, but because it's kind of an aerodynamic design, it's not flat. Right. Like the microbus, it has more of a... a um, more like a small truck for an end, maybe, mm-hmm. if you want to put it that way. And but then it does have a discernible hood. It does. It has a hood and an engine compartment, you know, so that's, that's one box. And then the second box would be the long back end that's the cabin area for, you know, people and cargo. And then vans, I guess, are, you know, they fall under one or two box designs as well. Depends on the front end, I suppose. So you can kind of understand, but modern minivans typically have a two box design. Again, that's like the hood area and then the cabin and cargo area. Right. Um, Sedans typically fall under three-box styling, and, you know, this has to go with the number of pillars and all that as well. Wagons, um, they often are, uh, actually almost always are are two-box designs because they Mm. end flat at the back. Um, And then, you know, it's like station wagons, I mean. And then hatchbacks are actually a two-box design as well for the engine compartment. Right. And then the cabin and cargo area, the hatch kind of falls under the same box. Because it's it's still... Uh, it's still the same open space. Exactly, yeah, because you're sitting kind of under the hatch, I guess, if you're in the back seat uh-huh. or even in the front sometimes. It, it just – hatchbacks typically fall under two-box designs. So right. you understand what we're talking about when we when we get to that because um, looking back at like the, you know, the Lloyd, that's a two-box design. If you look uh-huh. at the, the VW Microbus, that's a one-box design. A lot of the early ones were one-box designs, and that's, that's not um, – that's not counterintuitive, I guess, you know, given the way that, that trucks were designed then. They very flat front ends. Mm. Um, they didn't really care about aerodynamics and fuel economy and all that at the time. They were more concerned with, you know, being able to carry a lot of people and carry a lot of stuff. And it didn't matter right. how much fuel it cost, you know, to get them to the, the depot or, you know, back to the hotel or whatever. So uh, just so we're clear on, you know, the box designs and the, and the idea behind uh, the styling of all this and, you know, how it ties into, um, you know, the, the modern minivan. Right. And just to be clear, it the size of the box doesn't matter in this concept. No. So that's why, um, for instance, you see a Bluebird school bus with a flat face. That's a one-box design. Yeah, exactly. It's just one long rectangular box. But then they upped it, and I think, and did they make a uh, they made a two-box design? Yeah, eventually. two boxes. Yeah. Eventually, yeah. Well, I mean, everybody kind of went that way. But yeah, right. there there are those old. You're exactly right. Those old giant buses had those big flat front ends. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not the most aerodynamic things in the world. I mean, I guess Winnebago's fall under one-box design as well. If you want to want to count it that way. It's uh, it, you know, it's it's just about <laughs> it's about getting all the people. There eventually. So okay, so we're we're uh, we're progressing here, and you know, yeah. I, I think that you would you talked earlier that we we would get into the era of the 1970s, and um, I think maybe before we do that, we should take a, a word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. 
It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and we're back. We took a break, had some snacks. Had a sandwich. Yeah, hope you guys had a good sponsor break too. <laughs> it's a fast sandwich. <laughs> it was fast. It yeah, was a fast very, sandwich. Very fast. We want to keep it moving. Yeah. Uh, Scott, you had alluded to uh, the 1970s, and that's because we're entering into um... – oh, hey, man. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, even off air. Are you a fan of alternative historical fiction? Oh, sure, yeah. Like what if – yeah, I like something that gone different. Yeah, sure. Like uh, you know the the whole Cuban Missile Crisis thing. Like uh, right. You know, what if it had been cloudy that right, day? That right. kind of thing. Or what if Elvis, uh, you know, had a different hit? I don't know. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. But the, the what ifs are interesting. So we're entering a what if moment in the development and the rise of what would later be popularly called the minivan. Mm-hmm. So we know that like if we are fictional auto manufacturers, right, Mm -hmm. in late 60s, early 70s. We know that people people like being able to travel in one vehicle with Mm -hmm. their whole family. We know that they don't particularly care um, how fast it is. They're willing to sacrifice some performance, Mm -hmm. high-end performance for family. Uh, We realize that Previous iterations of vehicles have proven um, there are some definite uh, rules or uh, like rules of thumb for good in- interior use of space in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. We also know, and again, when we spend our all our days doing this as fictional car manufacturers, <laughs> we also know that the average American household probably doesn't want a bus. They probably don't want a van, yeah. a full-size van. In fact, they might not have a place to put it. Yeah, most don't have a place to put a full-size van because they don't fit into a standard garage. They're not 
garageable. That's right. So there's the term, right? Garageable. And we'll, and we'll get to that term in the story, I promise you, because we haven't yet gotten to the 1980s. Uh, something very, very interesting happened in the early 1970s. In fact, I will say right around, uh, right around 1970, maybe yeah, 1971, yeah. 72, somewhere yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. This is something that, um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll be upfront with you about this, Ben. I think this is the most, like, probably the most important step, but to me also the most interesting part of the story. This whole story, this entire episode is, is what's happening right now in 1972 with, uh, with Ford Motor Company. Mm-hmm. And the, the truth is that Chrysler and Ford each had started working on minivans in the early part of the 1970s, but neither one of them made any progress until this, 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 uh, just by chance combination came up of, of leaders and technology. Yeah. So <laughs> here's where, here's where we're going with this. In 1973, when they developed it in 1972, but in 1973, Ford had a product called the, or actually a concept vehicle called the Ford Carousel. And spelled just as you would think, C-A-R-O-U-S-E-L. I think there's an alternate spelling of that as well. But mm-hmm. uh, if you look up Ford Carousel 1973, you'll find a photo of this. And I'm going to show Ben a photo of this along with a 1984 Plymouth Voyager, which was the so-called first minivan from Chrysler. Right, right. I'm going to show you them. They're, they're side by side in this photo. They are so very, very similar. Very much alike, and there's a very good reason for that. Now, that's two separate companies, right? Ford yeah. and Chrysler. You would yeah, think yeah. that there would be some kind of variation, but they are really, really close in in, uh, in proximity, you know, the way that they look. Um, now, the carousel is, of course, a, a Ford code name. Um, you know, they do that a lot to keep things kind of secret on the down low, I guess, sure. right? So, you know, like, a, um, here's an example. Like the five-liter Mustang GT engine is called the Coyote engine. That's stuck with it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people still call it that in public. Yeah, because it sounds cool. Early on in development, it was the Coyote engine. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, the, the internal stuff. And no one really knows what you're talking about um, outside of the company. But uh the Ford carousel and we'll just kind of go through this this history of this carousel because this does play right into the Chrysler minivan um it was developed in 1972 and I think uh, released I guess or shown in 1973 uh but they never produced this vehicle outright this vehicle actually explored a lot of the different concepts that the first American market minivans now have in production or did have in production in the early 1980s. Now, this was called a, a garageable van, as you said earlier, Ben, a garageable van because it was, it was designed to fit in a standard American garage, which was just slightly over seven feet tall. Yeah. Because the, the standard or the full size vans were a full seven feet tall. And, you know, that just left, you know, inches of, of space in between, you know, the, uh, the top of the van and, uh, you know, the garage door itself. And that kind of depended on where the, you know, if the springs allowed it to come all the way up or not, you know, so there was some, you know, variation there. Sure. They were shooting for something that was a lot lower, but was still the cargo carrying capacity and the people carrying capacity of a full size van. And they just mm-hmm. didn't have anything like that at the time. So, so Ford, uh, was working on something that they had another code name it was called Nantucket and Nantucket was, uh, supposed to be like a, a redesign, a Ford, a redesign of the Ford Econo line and the club wagon, which were the full size vans. Which might like today you might think of them, uh, Ford E-series, right? Yeah, yeah. Church vans. Exactly. Yeah. The church, the, 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 uh, the ones that carry 12 or 15 people or whatever. Yeah. They're big, these big vans. Um, but the idea for the, uh, the Nantucket or codename Nantucket was to increase the front seat interior room. And a drawback of that design was that its increased height for the people of its increased height was for people who wanted one as like a daily driver. You know, people right. wanted these, you know, to carry their, 
uh, you know, five or six kids or whatever they had at the time, or, or maybe, you know, they had needs to carry a, a baseball team or a football right. team or something it, like that. So the problem was it was almost seven feet tall, which means your clearance is going to be what? Uh, yeah. Yeah. If, if at all, you're going to have any clearance, like right? Like a matter so, of inches. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, there's a problem there, right? So this, the idea was they're going to create this garageable van, which kind of fell below the size of that. So in 1972, the Ford president at the time, who you got to remember, was Lee Iacocca. And that's that's really important yeah. to the story. Uh, Lee Iacocca approved the expansion of the Nantucket Project to include a third vehicle alongside the Econoline and the Club Wagon, which was codenamed Carousel. So here we go with the Carousel. Mm-hmm. Um, and this new variant was, of course, said to be a, a garageable van. That's what he wanted. That was the whole intent of this thing. And so, you know, the, the buyers of full-size station wagons and passenger vans would find interest in this because it was something in between. It was right between mm-hmm. that full-size van and the station wagons that they were offering at the time. You could almost say it crossed over. It, it was a, it was like it was a crossover, <laughs> but there wasn't a turn. But it was a small van, so they right. so and they didn't coin the term yet. They didn't call it a minivan yet, but no, but no. it was a minivan. It was a mini version. Of the Econo line and the club wagon that Ford already had. Uh, they just didn't know to call it yet, you know, that at the time. So we're talking about somewhere in between the size of like the Ford LTD uh, Country Square and of course the club wagon. And of course had all the cargo carrying capacity. Interesting bit of trivia, if I may. Okay. It was, uh, designed by Dick Nesbitt, right? Mm-hmm. The same guy who went on to design the Ford Mustang 2. Hmm. Okay. He's got a, a lot of variation in his designs. Yeah, you know, I Coco was was critical in a lot of this stuff as well. I mean, he mm-hmm. um, he, he had uh, I think was he in like the he was with the Mustang, the Pinto, mm-hmm. uh, Ford Escort, um, for Ford, of mm-hmm. course. Um, but then moving on later, of course, as you know, well, you know what? Let, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. Here. Yeah, so, yeah. Wait, 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 so yeah. going back, we should say that the Carousel actually had a lot of support. Uh, internally with the Ford Motor uh-huh. Company. Yeah, in fact, people liked it. Yeah, Henry Ford II, who is, uh, let's see, Henry Ford II was running the company at the time. Uh, he would have been the oldest son of Edsel Ford and the oldest grandson of Henry Ford. Uh, that's, that's Henry Ford II. Uh, he liked it as well. So, you know, that's, that's the step in the right direction, From I the guess. Top. Yeah, yeah, you would think that the, you would think that the carousel would go on to production, you know, because, you know, it's got, uh, the approval of the top execs, right? Yeah, but, then, of course, we have to remember the time in which this was developed. Yeah. So there was opposition. There was, there was opposition, um, because, so some of the other Ford executives were, I'm sure, very diplomatic when they're talking to the owner of the company, but th- their fear, which I think was valid, was that this might threaten to cannibalize sales. Yeah. Of yeah, other vehicles. Of the ones we just talked about. Right. Of the, of the, the station Squire. wagon. Yeah. The, the, uh, the LTD Country Square. And of course, there's another one called the the Mercury Colony Park. I think that's another station wagon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, I don't know about the van. I don't know if it would, it would cannibalize the van sales at all or not, but but maybe. Uh, but as you said, Ben, you you had hinted that it was uh, you know a victim of timing as well. This yes. is why it didn't go into production. Right. Uh, the energy crate. This is why it's uh, it's almost what ifery on our parts. What if it had gone into production? It got very close. But the 1973 energy crisis and the the um, subsequent recession in the mid-70s made uh, the company cut back. Ford had to cut back on development of new, entirely new vehicles. And one of their policies at the time to cut cost was to say, unless a vehicle is replacing an already successful line, 
we're not going to try to go out and make a new market. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? And like, since the carousel was an all-new vehicle, right. uh, I got the X, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, there were a lot of axes in the 70s, yeah. it turns out. Yeah, unfortunately, right? So, so okay, so 1973 comes and goes, and uh, and the carousel really goes nowhere. There's nothing left to it. But again, take a, take a look at a photo of a carousel, and I think you'll see exactly where I'm going with this. But um, – in night, just five years later, in 1978, Lee Iacocca was fired from Ford Motor Company, and just months later, uh, the director of product planning, his name was Hal Spurlick, um, he also left the company. And, so, and after that, both of both of those executives were hired in similar roles at the Chrysler Corporation. So, you know, that's the that's the era when Chrysler was really right down in the dumps. I mean, they were bankrupt; they were going to go under the whole company. Yeah, everything. And so I think a lot of people recall that, you know, there's a there's some bold statements made by Lee Iacocca and they borrowed some money and they they actually paid all that money back on, yeah. you know, ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great story there. We probably should cover it at some point in a podcast. That's a good idea. But yeah, I hadn't really even thought of that. But the the resurrection of the Chrysler brand, yeah. because it, it did come back. Um, but the timing is so interesting. So in 1978, Iacocca and this other guy, uh, Hal Spurlick, go over to Chrysler Corporation. Mm-hmm. And now this, this is interesting because um, this is right around the time when the K car came came about. And the K car is said to have saved Chrysler Corporation. It was the economy car right. that was a platform that they could build on. They, could, they, had, they, compact were, they had the Reliant K. They had the Omni. They had, uh, yeah. you know, all kinds. They had um, the LeBaron, I think, was on that platform as well. There were a lot of different cars that were on that platform. And platform engineering became a thing where, mm-hmm. you know, you had a same, like the basic chassis and, and engines even. Mm-hmm. And you just put a different body on it. Tremendous and savings. Body interior. Yeah, yeah, huge savings. And, you know, again, there's another possible podcast right there. So if you go just a few years forward, I mean, uh, we're not we're not really long into the uh, the K car platform of, ve- of vehicles when uh, the 1984 Plymouth Voyager and Dodd Caravan are revealed to the public. And, right. Yeah. In, in 1983, I believe. Right. Yeah. 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 But I, I believe it was the Plymouth Voyager was the first one that was revealed or mm-hmm. and maybe along with the Dodge Caravan. But anyways, they were they were. um uh, built on the, uh, they were built on the K car chassis. Well, yeah, right? yeah, they were built on the K car chassis, the Reliant K car. Uh, but it didn't actually share the platform. That's the, the tricky part of this thing. Right. The, the minivans weren't the K car platform, but it was based on the Reliant K. Maybe that's the better, the better way to say it. It's based on the Reliant K. Yeah. And they were built on the Windsor assembly line over in, uh, you know, Windsor, Ontario, Canada. And, um, this is interesting too. I found this out, uh, and I hadn't thought of this. The, Plymouth Voyager and the Dodge Caravan actually uh, pioneered Chrysler's cab forward design 10 years before the LH line of products. Now, that's when they started calling it the cab forward design. Yeah. But if you look at a minivan, uh, the wheels are pushed way out to the corners. And that was yeah. the idea behind the cab forward design that uh, came about in, what, in the 1990s, maybe early 1990 up through the early uh, 2000s, when they I started think. using that in like their yeah. literature. Well, like, you know, the Chrysler, Con- the Chrysler Concorde, the Intrepid um, – Eagle Vision, back when Eagle was a brand. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to think of the other ones. I can't right now. Oh, maybe the 300M. I think it was another one. Um, but anyways, it was a, it was a, I guess a, a revolutionary step when they actually said, here's our, here's our newest minivan. And people loved it. Right away, people gravitated to this. I think in the first year, they sold something like 22,000 of these things. Going gangbusters, you know, in, in many ways, uh, it, I, I think it was the first, uh, ray of light. 
for Chrysler, mm-hmm. you know, when people uh, when people start buying these things like hotcakes. But again, take I mean, I'm going to show you this photo again. It's very close. Okay, so imagining that the guy that was in charge of this program, you know, the Ford, yeah. the 1973 Ford Carousel, yeah. is also in charge of of uh, you know getting this into production. You know, the the 1984 Plymouth Voyager or Dodge Caravan, right? Because there's, there's still both two boxes. You can the largest difference, honestly, is. Um, there's an extra row of window panes on the carousel. I gotta say, I kinda like the window design of the carousel better. It looks almost like a scaled down full size van on yeah, top. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, versus the, uh, the, the, the caravan and Plymouth Voyager. Cause those are more flat, like almost like, um, like plate glass pieces that were put in, uh, like almost like from a, win- uh, a house or something. Yeah. Uh, that's what it looks like. Uh, but the other ones were more styled like a, uh, like an old station wagon, maybe, you know, the roof line mm-hmm. is a lot more like a station wagon or a full size van than, uh, than the caravan. But, um, very, very interesting comparison to draw between the two. And, you know, there's probably a, a ton of stuff we can say about the, uh, these vans, right? Yes. I mean, a lot of firsts, of course. Sure. Which I, I'm hesitant to bring up, you know, the first always, but, uh, there are all kinds of stuff. I know you've got some, some other information to throw in besides sure. the first though. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, at the same time, this is, I think this is a great case study of how, um, how these seemingly rival companies can find themselves marching in lockstep sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd like to hear what you think, folks. So around the same time, Chrysler is going like gangbusters with the Voyager. Ford, of all people, it's like, oh, yeah, we were also – we've also been doing that, which must have been hilarious to Lee Iacocca. Yeah. And, uh, well, they do this all the time. They, they revamp yeah. an old idea. Right. So in 84, they revealed the Ford Aerostar. Yeah. And it was a prototype of an intended vehicle. In 85, it, it actually comes out and they start selling it. So it's just that Chrysler beat them by a year, really. I mean, they, it's kind of like a Me Too thing, you know, like yeah, we're, we're doing this an, as well. But that's an important year. And that's the other question, you know, you have to ask yourself, is it better to be first or is it better to be second? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you – I was going to say is it better to be first or is it better to be best? Mm-hmm. Um, the truth is these early products, they weren't – I wouldn't call either one of them best. I don't think you can. I mean – well, maybe – but that's looking through a filter of, of you know, um, 30 years. Yeah. Or 35, 34 years now, right? Is that right? The benefit of hindsight. Yeah, yeah. I mean we do and – but at the time – you know, it was, uh, it was very functional, very, uh, um, desired. It was a, a desired product in the marketplace. People wanted exactly what they were giving them. And cause again, sales numbers were huge. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't, you know, take a, a genius to figure out that, you know, with all these firsts, these industry firsts, um, uh, you know, Caravan and Voyager and Town and Country and all those, you know, the, the minivans from Chrysler and, and Plymouth, they, they just seem to kind of lead the market in a lot of ways for a lot of years. I mean, going right sure. up through, um, right through present day, really, they still do. And not saying that they, they're first in everything, but I'm looking at a, a list of first, minivan first. Yeah. Uh, so what, what do you got? Particular in that group, but I mean, I can't read them all. There's no way. So I'll hit a couple here and the year that it happened. But back in 1988, they pioneered the way with, uh, turbocharged gas engines. Uh, there was also, and this is another car that we haven't talked about. Um, one that, um, um, maybe a lot of people haven't heard about this vehicle, but it's a, a Renault E-Space. 
And I hope I'm not saying that incorrectly. I hope it's not a space, but I think it's e-space. Um, in 1984, they also released uh, a vehicle, you know, badged Renault. Um, the thing is that came along with um, the Chrysler UK, uh, Chrysler UK company working with uh, another manufacturer called Matra, M-A-T-R-A. And Matra, which went defunct in about 2003, played a key role in this whole development as well. But they kind of, they shared design. So there's no, no surprise that, you know, this Renault came out right around the same time when the Chrysler came out here in the United States. Um, but uh, Matra was a maker of automobiles, bicycles, aeronautics, uh, weaponry, that kind of thing. They did a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, but, but again, Matra was, was critical in or, or played a key role in the Renault e-space development. Um, and I think that the uh, the turbo diesel was also used uh, to the end of 1984 in that Renault e-space anyways. Um, but again, early on. So the turbocharged gas engines in 1998, uh, there was an electric minivan option uh, called the Epic in 1995. All the way back in 1985, they had an, an electric minivan. Hmm. Um, all-wheel drive in 1991. I'm skipping around here a little bit. But bucket seats in both the front, uh, both in the first two rows uh, in 1991. So that was something new. Um, man, they, they had all kinds of California ultra low emission vehicle uh, certification back in 1997 or for 1997 back in 1994. So three years ahead of time, they had passenger side airbags. I guess they were seamless and that was the big thing. And then it's so a 1996, um, just all kinds of, oh, here's one adjustable cup holders, 1996. That's oh, a big deal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, isn't this one of the, the vans? I got to say that the Chrysler vans, the minivans. Yeah. I think these were one of the ones that would just, it seemed like every year they were saying they're up in the number of cup holders. Cu- yeah. yeah. So you remember there was like almost like a battle going on for a while, a cup holder battle where they'd say we have 16 cup holders in and the Chrysler was, town and country. It, it got bananas because there were more cup holders than there were available seats. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking like two cup holders per seat, you know, yeah. at some point uh, in a lot of these minivans. So. Like it, how, 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 what are your kids streaking? It got, it got a little bit out of control. I mean, they had, uh, you know, mid cabin upper level comfort controls in 1996. There's a list of probably 45 different things here. I mean, all wheel drive, you know, that kind of stuff. Interesting. Which a lot of people might not expect. Yeah. Interesting. All wheel drive in 91. I think I mentioned that one already, yeah. but, um, lots of different things and passenger side airbags that were standard. Uh, I don't think that happened until, uh, 1994, believe it or not. Uh, so 10 years after it was developed, it's, Along the way, Chrysler has played a huge role in minivan history. That's right. all I'm saying. But, you know, a lot of other manufacturers, Toyota, Honda, um, you know, uh, of course, other makers uh, across the pond have sure. uh, come yeah. across with, you know, lots of minivan designs and ideas. And, and there have been variations of these and, and crossovers. And you said you've got more information on the 84s. Is that right? Or- well, I, I one thing that I think is um, really important here is with the – with just the highlights of the first that you pulled here, yeah. uh, you can see how these are also um, already moving toward the idea of comfort over performance, which inevitably leads to a luxurious ride. Like, look, man, I'm the first to say it. A lot of those like 2017, 2018 minivans, mm-hmm. have you been in one? Oh, yeah. 
They're nice. Oh, they're really nice. It's like your your rich friend's house. Uh yeah, I've got, I've got <laughs> yeah, they actually they are. I got I got actually got a lot to say about the the modern minivans. I mean, yeah, I've, we should talk about uh, it. Well, how about how about we push that a couple minutes? All right, uh, to the end of this episode because okay. I I mean I want your opinion on on some and when's the most recent time you've been on a minivan right, that kind right, of thing. Right, but right. but uh, can I can I mention one more thing about yeah. the um. Unless you had other things to do. No, cover. no, lay it on me. One more thing that I found really interesting about Chrysler minivans. So you got to imagine that there was a first, a first car that came off the assembly line, right? You, there, had, uh-huh. there had to have been a very first minivan. And it sure. turns out that that very first minivan was one that they used in the Windsor assembly plant as kind of a, a vehicle in the shop. They used it to, um, you know, drag parts around people and it is to transport vehicles. So it got pretty abused, pretty beat up, you know, along the way. And, um, Someone, someone there at the at the factory, coerced somebody or or you know talked somebody into the idea that this is historically important. It's a minivan. I know it's a minivan, but it's the first. We need to do something with it. And they decided that they were going to restore it. They restored. Well, that's cool. They restored the first mini. I think that's really cool too. So they restored the very first minivan, and it was put on display at the Walter P. Chrysler Museum, which no longer exists. I mean, I think it's out of uh, the building's still there. It's something different now um, in Auburn Hills. Uh, but it was a tan Plymouth Voyager with, uh, I think it even had wood grain on the side, so just exactly as you would imagine. But they fully restored it. Now, this is the interesting part, Ben. Yeah. I said it was a Plymouth Voyager, right? Oh, somewhere along the way, during restoration, that Plymouth Voyager turned into a Dodge Caravan. Whoever restored it, rebadged it. <laughs> so... You got to you got to remember now Plymouth went defunct in the year of 2001 yeah. I believe mid mid June or mid year 2001. Uh so somebody made the decision when they were restoring this uh, and I don't know if this is to avoid some uncomfortable you know conversations at the at the uh at, at the, the museum, yeah, at the museum you know as as to why you know you don't make Plymouth, the Plymouth brand anymore I, I I'm guessing that's it but they changed it over by you know just making simple changes like badges and the grill and the wheel covers and you know Dodge trim is what they added really to sure. this Plymouth Voyager. So how interesting is that? It like it, it was like rewriting history, I guess. So when you see that first minivan wherever it is now, yeah. I don't know who owns it or you know where it's where it's being held, but um, know that that was originally a Plymouth Voyager from 1984 and not a Dodge Caravan. It's so weird. Yeah, man. and I think there's one at the Smithsonian. I don't know if that's the I don't, that may be the first one. Maybe they donated it to the, uh, the Smithsonian. Case of mistaken identity. But there is an early 1984 minivan, a Chrysler minivan of some sort. I don't know if that's the one. Yeah. But it's in the Smithsonian. You know, the uh, the automation or the transportation museum. Somebody should write them a letter. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> I don't. I'm somebody kidding. knows. I mean, I found the story somewhere. It was on, sure. on the Alpar site if you want to look it up. It's, something it's pretty interesting. The, the curators of the Smithsonian know what's in their exhibit. I think they collection. have they have a pretty good idea, yeah. I would think. So, Ben, okay, so unless you have other material on the uh, on the Chrysler minivans or particularly that era of minivan, I'd like to kind of move on to the modern era. And just in brief, really, like what sure. What was the late the last time you were in a minivan? And how recent do you think? I mean, just ballpark. How uh, like what model year it was? Ballpark. Last time I was in a minivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time I was in a. Last time I was in a minivan, I was actually taking a Lyft, hmm. which is you know the competitor to Uber, L Y F T, uh, and it was really weird. Because the guy who was driving and the guy who owned the vehicle, uh, this was 
a '90s. It was an older. It was an older model. Oh wow! Uh, this was early. This was late last year. I want to say maybe also about recent, a year ago. but an older vehicle. Yeah, recent but an older vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this Joker had taken out uh, had <laughs> taken out some uh, like the seating. So there was just the, if everyone can imagine this with me, there was the driver's seat, the shotgun seat, and then the back row. Oh, way in the back by the window? Yeah, and then it was just empty space, and it smelled like incense in there, and I had, like, hopped in, but my car, of course, was in the shop, and uh, usually, usually I try to be very complimentary, you know, if I'm, if I'm hitching a ride with somebody, unless their car is a real POS, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, like, oh, this is a cool car, and, you know, if they're into cars, we can talk about something, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, what's, uh, you know, um, I, I've met somebody who's driving a Honda Pilot. I had never been in one. And, you know, honestly, I, the Honda Odyssey, I think, has outsold the Honda Pilot mm-hmm. by a pretty significant margin several times. Yeah. So I was interested to see why that guy would. But this dude in this, um, I want to say maybe it was a town and country. Okay. Uh, this thing was so weird that I was, uh, I didn't know what to say. And so instead of a question, I sort of ended up saying something lame like, uh, you, uh, you got a lot of room back here. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of leg room. In this I don't thing. know what it was for. Yeah. Like the old checker cabs. That and had, they you put know. carpet down on it too. Oh, really? Not like, you know, not like fuzzy house carpet, but like the kind of, uh, like upholstery stuff you have on a car. Like a mat. Like a mat, uh, yeah, like okay. a big mat. I got it. And I, I totally didn't understand that. But um, the most, well, it sounds like kind of a bad experience, really. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, here, not, that's t- not a fair uh, evaluation of it because that's that's an unusual situation, right? And he was a nice guy. Yeah, by the way, sure. Um, just had some very interesting choices in his van life. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, uh, the more. I think uh, one of the more interesting experiences I had, at least for long-time listeners, um, was several years before that. How long – we've been at this current office for about, what, two, two and a half years yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, so we used to – you probably heard it, folks, on one of our earlier shows. Um, Scott and I used to work in an office that was located in a downtown area of Atlanta called Buckhead. And there was an underground parking deck where everybody would have to park. Scott, you and I typically parked on the bottom so that nobody would mess up our cars. Yeah, ding the cars. Ding the cars. Mm-hmm. And um, one day, it was later, and I was I was walking through the parking deck, and I see um, – and I'll, all right, I'll just let the badger out of the bag. Mm-hmm. See this gold Honda Odyssey rolling up, yeah. and, and I'm on foot. So I don't really have any beef with it at this point. I'm just going to keep walking, play it cool. Sure. Uh, try to be anonymous. Yeah. Avoid uh, eye contact. Avoid eye contact. Yes, sir. Actually, I was doing that like a Wayne's world where they see the ex-girlfriend. <laughs> but, uh, but I hear the telltale of, oh, no. a, of a flat tire and I look and there's like this, um, elderly, I'm just going to say elderly lady driving this vehicle. Yeah. And she's about to head out to some of the worst traffic in the city. It's like a run over and I stop and I haven't, I, I think you have heard this story, but not many people have. Yeah. And I stop and I'm like 
waving her down. And I, at first I think she's not going to stop. And then I think, oh my God, it's true. I'm going to die at the hands of a Honda Odyssey driver. <laughs> but, but she does stop. She's obviously a little irritated. She's trying to get home. And I said, your tire is flat. And she's like, do you think I can make it home? And I said, no, it is not soft. It is, it is flat. Yeah. And, um, do you have a spare tire? And she, uh, she says it's somewhere. And so I say, okay, is it somewhere in the back? Like I've resigned the fact that I'm going to have to help this lady. Yeah, underneath possibly. It is. It is, it is underneath, underneath okay, in this yeah. compartment. I yeah. find it. Um, and it was my first time in a Hot Odyssey. And I was thinking, you know what? <laughs> On the inside, it's, it's not that bad. Yeah. However, she did get on my bad side when I was looking for it and she didn't have the, um, like she didn't have the jack and the, uh, the, the jack and stuff where it was supposed to be. Oh, the tools weren't there. Right. Well, they were somewhere else. Oh, I found them. Gotcha. They were in a plastic bag in the back. Okay. Um, but, uh, she asked me, Scott, I know I'm rambling here, but this is very, this was a turning right. point it's for like, me. It's like therapy for you. Kind of. Because she said, how long do you think this is going to take? Oh, my gosh. As I was eight minutes in <laughs> to finding a tire that she had no idea existed. <laughs> in your yard doing a good deed. And I stopped. Yeah. I, like, stopped talking to her at that point. Yeah. Other than procedural questions. Mm. Where's your jack? What? There is a set of there, – there are things that come with your tire yeah. that I need to lift up your – van and change the tire for you it's like i don't know where the car stuff is and uh oh boy yeah so i found it anyway change the tire i understand nobody's expecting a flat tire it's never a great time but you did get a glimpse inside of a new minivan then and it was nice it was really nice it was really nice and, and the truth is you probably didn't get to really see all the features you didn't get to see that you know honda odysseys have a built-in vacuum which is actually a really nice feature. No, I had no idea. End. I was being har- uh, harassed yeah, yeah, and harangued. You know, they've got navigation system. They've got you know all the the modern features. It's it, they're quite luxurious inside. Not just not just the Odyssey, mm-hmm. but all minivans now. They're, they've they've kind of they've uh, they've blurred the lines between mm-hmm. luxury and um, uh, I guess uh, utility. And what uh, what? Pardon my rant. You're right, sure. Scott. It did turn into a rant. Um, That's all right. What, uh, what's the last time you were in a minivan? I, I rented one recently. Like when we went to, uh, Detroit a couple of, uh, I guess it'd be several months ago now. Yeah. Almost a year, really. What'd you get? Uh, we got a, uh, it was a, I think it was a Chrysler Town and Country or a Dodge Caravan. I can't remember which okay. one it was, but it was a Chrysler product. Yeah. Um, just loaded with really nice stuff. I mean, it had, you know, all the modern bells right. and whistles that you would expect. More view camera. Yeah, more technology than you could ever use, really, mm-hmm. in, you know, a rental car that, you know, you're just borrowing for a weekend or whatever yeah. it was, or three or four days. Um, so nice, in fact, and this is funny, my kid, <laughs> you know what kind of cars my wife and I drive, right? Right, right, right. I have a, I have a 2012 Volkswagen CC. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. It's not brand new or anything. My wife has a 2015 Jeep Renegade. Not bad. It's all right. I, I have some grapes. That, I would say the CC is a really good car. Yeah, actually. I, I like it. Right? It's a it's a decent looking ride. It it has a decent ride to it. It's it's yeah. a neat car. My kid gets in this minivan. She's fifteen now, so maybe this explains some of it, the attitude. But she okay. says, she says, "Wow, this is really nice." You know, she's in the back seat, and she says, "Compared to this, it's like you and mom drive hobo cars." <laughs> Now, have you ever heard anybody say the term hobo, hobo cars? cars? 
Can you believe that? That's her opinion of our cars or that they're hobo cars. You have a hobo car? I, I, I thought that was so funny that I – here's what I did. I texted myself just these two words, hobo cars, at the time because I knew I would never remember the term or the phrase that she used. It's such an unusual <laughs> term. Oh, anyway, man. so uh, quite a slam on our on our vehicles. But she was really impressed with the minivan, which I didn't expect out of a 15-year-old. You'd think that would be an uncool car. Right. However, it's just, again – Loaded with luxury like items. Built-in entertainment and, system. And I'll tell you, like, driving it around town, it's mm. nice. I, I wouldn't want to own one personally just because of the size and the type of vehicle it is. I just okay. am not a fan of that. But um, it, it really has all the features that you would want in anything that size. And, and it's comfortable mm-hmm. to take a long road trip in that thing. I bet it would be very comfortable. I, sure. I mean, I remember even back in the uh, mid-1990s renting those in Florida, you know, like in the Orlando area for mm. – uh, video production or something. You know, you have yeah. a lot of gear to carry. Uh, it was the best option, really, because you could carry people and gear. And of course, it smelled moldy and, and mildewy, like every rental car in, in Orlando, Florida, does, uh, because of the humidity there. Mm-hmm. But um, it was really nice. They were they were solid vehicles even back then. And uh, you know, just they had everything you need. They're comfortable. And even though you hated to admit it, you know, when I was a I was a 24 year old at the time, you know, when I was renting these. Um, it was a nice vehicle. I mean, I wouldn't, again, wouldn't want to buy one, but to rent one and just to drive it around and, and it was very comfortable. It had everything you'd want. It was just, it was, it was actually a decent car, a decent vehicle. So we have our anecdotal experience. Yeah. Um, we may have to go back and edit some of mine, but, uh, <laughs> we do have to, we do have to, uh, ask about the future. You know, is the rise of minivans, which began in the eighties, is it going to, Continue well. It seems that sales have sharply declined as of April of this year, hmm. and some of the questions that we hear about, you know, here regarding this situation, they all kind of orbit some of the age-old questions you hear about uh, automotive products. You know, um, in the New York Times. It's really interesting in the eighties when in the eighties when minivans first came out, the New York Times supposedly. Supposedly, right. When they were called minivans, first modern minivans. <laughs> all right. Take all the caveats from this whole episode and just pretend I said them all again. Sorry, Ben. I had no, to say no, it. it's a great point. I'm glad you made it. <laughs> okay. Um, the, uh, but the New York Times was ranting and raving and they were all Twitter pated about it and they, they were saying Chrysler's invented this entirely new market for vehicles. Uh, where of course other people would say, Oh, the days of the station wagon are numbered. And now, we have to ask ourselves, are minivans transforming? Is it that the people who would have normally purchased a minivan 10, 15 years ago, are they going to be buying crossovers? Are they going to be buying SUVs, compact SUVs, for yeah. instance? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's true. I think that's the direction that things are headed in, but also – it's not a ding on the minivans. I mean, they're, they're, if they're meant to be family cars, right? Then it seems like their emphasis on luxury and comfort is paying off. Look, man, I'm not, you know, do you feel like a sucker holding a cup in your lap now? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, here's the thing with minivans and we didn't really state this, I guess, but 
they have plenty of room to include just about every luxury feature you want as that's well. That's another, that's a really good point. They're big. So like yeah. there's not a lot of the space concerns that you would find in a smaller sedan or in a sports car mm-hmm. or even, oh, well, I guess luxury cars have space for stuff like this too. But uh, minivans have, I wouldn't say unlimited space, but they've got a lot more space uh, for engineers to kind of play with and toy with and add the latest technology, the latest sure. features, the latest, you know, bells and whistles. Um, and, and I think that they're taking advantage of that and they're just loading them up with stuff. And I'm sure they're, they're expensive. I don't know what the average minivan costs now, but I bet it's up there. I bet it's expensive. Um, and, and probably with good reason with all the stuff that they, that they fill them up with. And I, and you know, minivans are probably very great, uh, probably fantastic customizable vehicles. Mm-hmm. If you are a business owner who needs to be mobile, right? Yeah. You see a lot of minivans being, uh, converted into, work vans for you know like uh electricians for instance yeah. oh, or sure. plumbers even yeah but, if they can't get away with a full size like a sprinter van or something right. like that you know? here's another thing that gets me these then would in theory be ideal vehicles uh for like secret agents like james bond is showing off when he's <laughs> aston martins yeah yeah you don't need that sports car also, he would never drive a Chrysler. No, probably the, not. Like Queen would put a hit on him or something. <laughs> but the um, but I guess we are we are kind of drawing to a close here, um, unless well, you have some more stuff. Well, I have a question. I guess I okay. I, I wonder if minivans have seen kind of the uh, their better days. You know, if they're if they're right. if they're a, a thing of the past now, mm-hmm. and not that station wagons ever went away, but I wonder if it's a similar thing that they're going to start to uh, wane and uh, they have already started to wane in popularity. Yeah, is it going to be more of just like the kind of the oddball production vehicle that they still make? You know, at, at uh, Honda or Toyota or, mm-hmm. or Chrysler or wherever, mm-hmm. um, or are they going to remain? You know, in the marketplace, still fairly prominent on the dealer lots. Are they gonna? Are they gonna just go away? Is, is station wagon? Are station wagons coming back? Are crossovers going to take over? Right. And if so, how long will crossovers have before something new comes about? And will we see a divergence in buying trends across the world? But I think a lot of minivan owners will say that you're not going to pry that minivan out of my cold dead hands. No, you're no. going to have to pry it out of my cold dead hands because. Yeah. Uh, they love them. Once they're in them, I think you find that you really like them. You really appreciate everything mm-hmm. that they, they offer. Mm-hmm. A lot like, you know, the Pontiac Aztec or something like that, where you know, <laughs> a lot of people make fun of it or laugh at it, but, right. but when you're, you know, you're inside one, if you can, if you drive one, they, they claim they sell themselves. I mean, they, at the time they did, mm-hmm. uh, that people love them once they were inside them and drove them, to, you know, under, realize, or realized the possibility of that vehicle, but they were, they were so ugly on the outside, uh, according to most people. Not for everyone. Yeah. And I guess that's the same thing with minivan. It has a stigma attached to it. And the stigma is that, you know, you're a middle-aged family man or a family woman, I guess, and you uh, are kind of saddled with lots of responsibilities and, and tasks and things that you have to do, you know, shuttling the kids to uh, soccer games or hockey games or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's not really the car that you want to drive. It's the car you have to drive. I don't know, man. When I was... Name I'm sure my age now, but when I was in high school, we all started driving a, a kitted out '70s looking, like a, a minivan that looked like a '70s customized full size van. <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Shack carpet, got some art on the back window. You get like a like an old Chevy Astro van or yeah, something. Yeah, those would be like the dream. <laughs> but um, but it is it is a great question, and stigma does have a. a profound and significant effect yeah. on buying trends. I 
I would like to add just one more question completely unrelated to our show. Okay. Or completely unrelated to this episode. And this is for all you out there, ladies and gentlemen. Please, uh, please let us know what you think of minivans, of your experience driving one or your experience being on the road with minivan drivers, right? Positive, yeah. negative. Let us know. Sure. Let us know if you think the minivan is, as Scott asked, is it uh, a temporary dip? Is it going to um, – it on its way out? Is it on its way out? Uh, and then also answer this question for me. I was thinking about this earlier this week. So I drove into work a um, few days ago. No parking spaces in the usual place where we park. The reason there are no parking spaces or the reason there's not a parking space for me or anybody else who comes is because there is a Ferrari that is double parked. Hmm. And I think you may have seen this Ferrari before. I do know that one. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the question. Are there ever circumstances where it is right to double park your car? Okay. We've talked about our parking structure many times, so the, the, the pillar situation. Right. There's pillars, what it seems like every 10 feet. Oh, I know you're good. Uh, I this knew old you were construction. Defend so this guy. I, I had, I mean, you know what? I normally wouldn't, but man, it, it's also a Ferrari. It's, it's a Ferrari. It's a 458. Yeah. And very nice. Um, and you know how tight our parking area is. Yeah. It's extremely tight. And yeah. we've griped about it enough times that people already know this. But in this one particular case, I, I would say I, I kind of – I can understand this. And and really, occupying two spaces in this building is like occupying one space in a, in a reasonable parking lot, a reasonable one. I am surprised. You're usually – well, you're usually like a, a lawful good type I, you know, personality. Honestly, I mean, they park on the you know the uh, the extreme highest floor, and yeah. uh, there's there's less uh, congestion up there. So oftentimes there are open spots where in other floors there are not open spots at all. And I guess on this day, the particular day that you came, hmm. there were no open parking spots. But um, I, I do have to defend this uh, this one instance. I'm still on the fence about it because the thing is, I was PO'd when I was walking into the office and I thought, you know, why don't you just put your car somewhere else? It's already a bad decision <laughs> to take this work of art here. Well, it's covered and it's, uh, it it's is covered. It's, it's away secure. from the elements it's a, relatively. It's a badged garage and it's yeah. only employees. It's something, it's someplace you can. Employees and residents. It's someplace you can trust, right? Right. It's not like no it's one's a public parking lot. Now in a public it. parking lot, my opinion on this would be, you know, is somebody in an exotic that parks in either a handicapped spot or takes a, a spot up close and takes two spots. I don't think you should I would park say, in a handicapped oh, spot. Never. If you don't have the, the appropriate credentials and the need. Yeah. But to take up two spots close up in a, in a, in a public parking area, yeah. that's on, un, that's uncalled for. You just go to the back of the lot and take up two spots if you want to. That should be fine. I mean, no one's being hurt in that situation. Well, as my day was going, I was thinking, you know, the sentence that kept surfacing in my head was, but it's a Ferrari. So <laughs> I'm on the fence. Scott is defending him. We want to hear from you. Uh, under what circumstances is it okay to double park your car, right? Uh, I think that's a good way to phrase it. <laughs> and I bet a lot of people have a one-word response. Never. Well, I, I bet a lot of people will have never dot, 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 yeah. except when... Now, see? That's you know, exactly how you and I feel, right? Like if you have a Bugatti and you're and you're in a really tight parking situation. I guess. Or you plan your day so you never have to park it. Like, you know, you just take it home. Right. 
and you drive it around <laughs> and then you bring it back home again. You never park it anywhere. Or if you are in a pay parking lot and you just buy two spots. See, I think that's like airplane rules then. You buy two spots? If you buy two spots. Well, paid parking, that's a, that's a different ballgame. See, the there are, there are lot. cases. There are, okay, this is quickly turning into a yeah. different episode, but, right. uh, we do hope you enjoyed, uh, the minivan episode. So thank you to Weston B, S. Wirtz, and Dano for, uh, writing in. Thanks to everybody else who wrote in and suggested this on Facebook or Twitter or, uh, emailed us. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We are Car Stuff HSW. You can find our Woody episode, which, uh, still holds up. I checked, I checked back in on it, uh, along with every other episode we've ever done at our website, carstuffshow.com. Uh, it's, it's free. Yeah. Oh, and thanks for hanging in there for this uh, three-hour episode. Oh, yeah. I guess Isn't we, it about three hours? I guess we did go a little bit long. On minivans, it's good, though, right? I mean, I think we've, uh, we've had some fun. Well, maybe we'll this will be the director's cut, and then we'll go. I, I would bet that this was not the minivan episode a lot of people anticipated when they first clicked on that uh, I, on that link. I hope it wasn't. I, I feel the same way. <laughs> and uh, let us know about that, too. Uh, you can write to us with any uh, feedback about your personal experience with minivans, whether you are a... Uh, critic or a supporter yeah. for it or again it for it or again it as we like to say and uh, if you have suggestions for a topic you think we should cover in the future we'd love to hear from you we are car stuff at howstuffworks.com for more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com let us know what you think send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Compatibility. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.